This is Pam Fox Rollin from Idea Shape, and you're listening to Leader Lab. Who are you and what do you do? I'm Pam Fox Rollin. I do executive coaching and I consult to senior leadership teams. I've got a company, Idea Shape Coaching and Consulting, which works especially with technology and healthcare companies mostly centered in Silicon Valley. I also teach leadership to executives, and I sometimes podcast about leadership. And recently, I'm the author of 42 Rules for Your New Leadership Role, the manual they didn't hand you when you made VP, director, or manager. You know, most of the time, they just hand you an HR manual, so it's good that there's finally a manual of what to, what to do instead of just what not to do. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's the what to do manual. Yes, absolutely. And I, and I want to get into uh, what those rules are, why there's 42 of them, and all that sort of stuff. But first, I want to let everybody get to know you a little bit. If I remember right, you kind of cut your teeth in the, in the big five of the consulting companies and that sort of thing. But talk about where you came from and what led you to finally put pen to paper and get 42 rules written out. Sure. I started out in corporate strategy consulting with a company called Bain & Company. And I was 21 at the time, and my mom thought it was hilarious that anyone was going to hire me to be a consultant. She said, you're 21. You don't know anything. How can you consult? But somehow, Bain has a way of getting folks to, to learn very quickly, and it was an awesome business boot camp. And I went on to also do strategy consulting with Accenture. And I have an MBA from Stanford that I got along the way. And then I was... 33. I had 1.1 million frequent flyer miles and um, was trying to get regularly in the same state as my fiance. And so I decided to go out on my own and have some choice about where I do the work that I do. And I was able to bring together a couple things that I really love, helping business leaders think together about strategy and then helping them individually and as a team step up so they can actually lead this strategy forward, which I think is often the harder part. So uh, over these last 11 years, I do a mix of coaching executives one-on-one, working with leadership teams, doing strategic offsites and team building, and then also sneaking in some teaching when I can because I love to do that. As it pertains to uh, 42 Rules, you've done a lot of work with leaders, and I get the impression that a lot of what's in the book comes right from all of your coaching experiences with them and teaching them what to do and what not to do, but primarily what to do. Why, uh, why now as far as putting it down to paper and getting it published out as a full book? Uh, well, the easy answer is that, that a, an opportunity appeared right in front of me. And so you asked why 42. Well, my friend Laura Lowell wrote a book called 42 Rules of Marketing. And it's a great little book. And she said, hey, why don't I pitch the editor? On, uh, or the publisher, on creating a series of 42 rules books that will be practical and, and useful with me as the editor. So Laura became the editor of 42 rules series, and she turned around to the colleagues she knew and said, okay, and what book are you writing? Uh, so I had been thinking about doing a book about leadership and staring down the prospect of writing a book proposal, finding an agent, shopping it around, or saying yes to my friend Laura and then having a book, I chose B. So it gave me a format for doing it, and I actually wound up liking the format in that it's 42 short chapters that are the sort of thing somebody can read 
you know, on a Sunday evening as they're planning their week and say, okay, which of these short pieces of guidance are actually relevant to me for the week ahead? No, absolutely. That's a, that's a funny story. That it, the the uh, opportunity just presents itself quite quite fortuitous. I actually I have a uh, a poster in my office from it's a quote from Drucker that fortune favors the prepared mind. So luckily you had. I mean, I'd imagine you had the most the bulk of these rules already sort of figured out in your head when you were working with senior leaders. Absolutely, it was actually the easiest part of doing this was coming up with the rules, and then it was writing it and. We've had a conversation about about leadership research, and we're both kind of leadership research groupies. And so I really wanted to take this format that can be very breezy and opinionated and make sure that what I was offering people was really grounded in the leadership research as well as what I see with my clients. So that's what took a while. Um, but I wound up being happy with it, and, and I'm starting to see it be out there in the world and hear from people that it's been useful. So glad for that. Well, awesome. And yeah, that's one of the things that really attracted me to the book and the idea is, one, I mean, I know your reputation as someone who blends that theory uh, theory practitioner gap very, very well, and so we obviously try and highlight all of those people. I know we, I said uh, just before we started the recording how much I love Pam's research report of the week, which, uh, Peter, if you're listening, we need to get that back because I really, really enjoy that. But um, that said, I love that about the book because it followed you into the book. Um, but I want to ask about sort of the intended audience of the book. I know you work a lot now with senior leaders on a coaching perspective, et cetera. Is this book just for primarily for senior leaders, or is there a broader category? Who would you recommend get a, pick up a copy of this book? I keyed it mostly towards the director level, so maybe somebody who is – uh, depends on the organization, but you know, five, ten years out of MBA in a corporate setting. That said, it's um, and you know, maybe in some organizations and cases, it's you know, right out of an MBA or an exec M- MBA program. It's, that said, it's proven useful with folks who are first-time managers, because I'm hearing back from people and people who are C-suite level, both for their own start and for guiding the start of their people because I'll hear back from folks who who said, okay, I've got somebody new on my team and I'm giving them this book, but I'm also thinking through how I can help them make a better start because you're equipping at the beginning about, you know, the HR, what not to do, but a lot of onboarding is just, you know, mind-numbing stuff that has nothing to do with being a great leader in the organization. So my suggestion is people take charge of their start and design their own onboarding. And, of course, if you're listening to this and you're hiring people, you know you might want to think about helping them make a really good start in building those relationships and understanding the strategy and starting to contribute as well as just you know getting the right computer and the security pass. And of course, you would want to do that by buying copies of the book in triplicate, and uh, and then emailing Pam to set up a training curriculum around the book. But I, I wanted to. I'm going to give you a little quiz on your own book because I thought yeah. one of the best ways to give people an idea of the content is just to start pulling chapters that stood out to me and quizzing you on what's inside them. See if you can still name them. All. Talk about talk about it. Give people a preview of some of these chapters. Okay. So uh, the the first one is is kind of interesting. If you're ready for it. I, I find this funny because it's 42 rules, and, and rule number one is actually rules are meant to be broken. So, yeah. Um, 
you don't become a leader by following all the rules, right? But typically, it's helpful to know what some of the general wisdom is. You're not the first person who's led a team. You're not the first person who's led a cross-functional team, who's led a virtual team. There are some other folks out there who know how to do this, and the wise person learns from the school of hard knocks and says, hmm, you know, this seems to be a better approach than this one. So these aren't rules to follow blindly. You know, nothing in leadership you should do blindly. Um, but it's a place to start. That's all. Hmm. Interesting. And, and I really like how um, the start of the book, and in, in, in starting off with that sort of, uh, uh, we'll call it a disclaimer, as it were. But then, then when you, fo- you focus in on setting yourself up for success first, which is interesting. And some of the things you talk about are, are um, fire up your task management system or draft your strategic one-pager. But let's talk broader about why that sort of setting up yourself is, is primary to knock down first. And then let's, let's talk about this task management system idea. Sure. So sometimes people will, you will come into a new role and they're – appropriately excited to get to know their team members to figure out what the strategic initiatives are that they need to take on to set priorities and all that stuff. But what do they spend their days doing, David? They spend their days and many of their evenings trying to get their old files from their Mac to talk to the new PC. to get. And often you'll see new leaders with literally two or three cell phones, like the new one, the one they've heard. And Meanwhile, they're just like failing on all sorts of deliverables that they promise people. They're not properly getting their email. Like that is so not the way you want to start. So just figure out the task stuff up front, even if it means you hold off on agreeing to start for a couple weeks and you spend a little time with their tech support and you figure it out. It sounds so mundane and usually I'm focused on, you know, big corporate strategy issues, but frankly, if the person doesn't show up to the strategy meeting because they totally botched their calendar, it doesn't matter. So rule three, before you do anything else, make sure you've got a task management and calendaring system that you can actually use. And I have to pause because there's a big debate going around. Are you in favor of a particular one like GTD or even back in the old Cubby days or... You have a more hybrid system in mind. I am in favor of whatever works. Whatever will help you know what it is you've committed to, where you show up. People have all these debates about, do the task go on the calendar, or do the task go in a separate system? For me, I keep my task in a separate system. I use RTM, Remember the Milk, which is a GTD system for people who are David Allen groupies. But, um, you know, the days of the 43 folders in paper are just over. Nobody I know in Silicon Valley works that way. but it really doesn't matter as long as you've got a system that works on your various mobile devices that other people in the organization can access if they need to, all of that stuff. I'm just in favor of something that works. Oh, beautiful. No, I was, I was uh, secretly hoping you would go that way. I, um, oh, I try and try and try to make myself work. My OCD nature to try and get in and do a perfect system of, of whether whatever it is, whether it's Covey or GTD or or action method by Behance, whatever it is, and I can't make it work. You just got to figure out. I, I think it's especially important because you have no idea what the industry is. Just figure out what works and, and then work it. But m- moving on, pulling some random chapters here, 
Um, the one that stuck out to me in particular was uncover precisely how your group creates value. David, you are the only person so far who's asked me about that chapter, and I'm absolutely thrilled because it's one of my favorites. Um, and I think that your level of knowledge about how organizations actually work, um, my guess is that that pointed you to that chapter. What it's about, for those who are listening and haven't yet grabbed the book, it's about how does your group actually add value? Discovering that you're going to be head of accounts payable really doesn't tell you a whole heck of a lot about what value that delivers in the organization. I mean, you can make up the story about, well, they um, enable purchases to happen, or you're going to be head of um, product marketing for, you know, uh, an old stable product or something. It it tells you. It lulls you into thinking that you know what it is this group should do. And one of the things I really encourage people to do when they start is just to check all their assumptions, especially the big ones like, my group is called product marketing, therefore I know what the organization expects us to do. Let me read just a little spec from that um, rule. Yeah, go for it. So I'm talking about maybe you're head of an internal consulting group at a technology company, and, and your mission is to adapt the firm's software to meet the needs of major customers. But what I say is maybe that's just part of the story. Maybe your group derives most of its value as a training ground for future leaders of the system consulting division, or as the eyes and ears of product marketing, or your group exists because of a horse trade to balance power between the heads of marketing, sales, and engineering. And you've got to know. You've got to know what your group means to the organization and how it delivers value. You can change it. You can renegotiate it. You can all, all of that. But to make a big assumption that, um, well, you know, of course there's an accounts payable team. Um, it just means you don't really know what your group is, is doing. Yeah, that's a, that's pretty much the reason I was attracted to it as well. Is it's too tempting to assume that you know exactly what you're supposed to do based on title or whatever, or even that, yeah, I mean, how many organizations have it such that what your job description is is not what people expect you to do? So figuring out how you do that. And I love the way you talk about it. Less is what you're supposed to do and more about how you create value. Um, because I think we too often we have a tendency to look at the revenue producers and then the support staff and divide organizations up. But every every person in that role creates some sort of value. Otherwise, there's no reason for that in the organization's design. Right. And I hope you as a new leader walking into an organization are really crisp or ask the right questions so you can get really crisp about what value your group delivers to the organization. Absolutely. Now, uh, Rule 14 strikes me as kind of interesting, too, and that is that it is definitely not the um, presidential path. I mean, I'm pretty sure <laughs> since, since Jefferson, uh, we have had a rule of blaming the last guy, but yet Rule 14 is don't blame the last guy. Because, you know, the last guy knew things that you didn't, and he knew that if you went and cleaned up all the low-hanging fruit that you see around the department, that it still won't make a wits bit of difference. And he knew that the person that, you know, got that low rating was just thrown under the bus by somebody else and really could be a good performer, so that person was kept on. And, you know, he just knew a lot of stuff. And even if he was um, <laughs> maybe deficient in some areas, you don't need to point that out because your team members will be glad to do that for you. And 
if you start down that path of, oh, God, can you believe, wow, what a mess that person left, and here I am cleaning it up, you know, you're going to leave your own messes. That game is going to look really hollow very soon. I really like the way Rule um, rule 29, and truthfully Rule 30, I see a collection between the two, but Rule 29, you know I'm a big fan of failure. I have a uh, failure is feedback is kind of one of my mantras. And we had Tim Harford on uh, a few months ago. Um, and you have it as a similar similar tone, but Rule 29 is make the most of screw-ups. Yeah. Yeah, I give the example there about John Donahoe, who's now CEO of eBay. And I knew him when he was a fresh from MBA, first-line supervisor at Bain. And I tell you, he was fabulous. Then I'm not surprised at all that he went on to run Bain & Company and then eBay. One of the hallmarks of John's leadership, even you know, really young in his career, is that he would just take screw-ups, unexpected things that happen in consulting, um, things where the delivery didn't happen quite the way that we would have wanted, and he just would mine it for learning, would get everybody involved on the team and thinking about, okay, what did we learn from this? What can we take forward? But to do it in a way that wasn't about blame. And that has stayed with me for these you know, 20-some years since I worked for John. And I, and I love the way that you used him as an example because then you transition right into Rule 30, which is grow more leaders. And you know, too often I think we punish failures when they're the perfect opportunity to educate and, and follow through with Rule 30, which is grow more leaders. One of the things I talk about as a hallmark of a really good leader is that they see leaders everywhere. You know, it's kind of like the the kid who sees dead people everywhere. Uh, Leaders see leaders everywhere, and they look around and and go, okay, that person could become a leader. And and one of the ways that I use Myers-Briggs, which is, I think, pretty different than the kind of very basic servicey way that a lot of people use it. And I've been a, oh my God, 28-year fan of Myers-Briggs since I was a teenager. Um, but I, I use it to help people see the assumptions that they make about who can lead and who has sort of this leadership style and aura and really separate that out from what people are doing to move the organization forward. In other words, leadership. So there are all different ways of approaching the challenge of getting a group of people to know which direction is forward and, and move in that direction. And uh, I think seeing how different people show up as leaders is just sort of the essential expanding the uh, the awareness and vision of folks who want to grow more leaders in their organizations. So there's a lot of cool, in addition to the, the 42 rules, there's a lot of cool resources in the appendixes because you then apply the rules for job seekers or for you know, our, our friends in HR who are hiring, for executive coaches, and all of that, which is, is really, really cool. A lot of cool resources within the 42 rules and then how to use the 42 rules. So I encourage everybody to check it out, particularly if you are in that new leadership role or, or you think you're in line for that new leadership role. Um, it blends a lot of research, a lot of practicality, some cool stories from uh, the Times Consulting and working with executives. Um, but Pam, I want to shift over to you and talk about what, what are you reading right now? Ah, let's see. I'm trying to remember which podcast turned – I think it was The Invisible Hand. I don't know if you ever listened to Chris Gondek's podcast, but it's 
um, one of my favorites, along with yours. Uh, the Invisible Hand tends to highlight some, you know, variety of, of cool new books and research that are out there. And there's one that really caught my fancy. It's called As One. I don't know if you've seen that. And it's um, a compendium of great research about the relationships between leaders and the people in the group. And I've never seen it diagnosed so well. It's based on a ton of research. There's actually a cool little iPhone app that goes along with it. You answer a few questions about the group, and it will say which of the eight models that your group is most like. But it proposes models like uh, general and soldiers or producer and creative team. And what I like about it is not so much to put a label on the team, but to have a conversation with the team about what's, what's really going on here. Are we relating to the leader of the group as a producer? Are we relating to the leader of the group as a general? What is the nature of that relationship? So um, it's a cool book. I encourage people to check it out. Yeah, no, I, I, I thought that too. We reviewed it on the site a, a little while ago. Oh, I sorry, loved, I missed it. No, no, no problem. We, I loved the breakdown of the, the eight different types and all that sort of stuff. I thought it was phenomenal. It was written by some pretty – Pretty high level, not high level, but pretty prominent consultants. Mm -hmm. uh, I forget which of the big ones they're with. I don't think it's Bain, but that would be. Boy, a, maybe. Uh, that would be. I think it is. Yeah. That would be appropriate if it were Bain. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, no, it's a phenomenal read, and it's actually well, the thing that struck me about it is it's a beautiful book. It is a beautiful book, isn't it? Yeah, it, I mean, it's just the the layout and the use of color and all of that is just, and it's almost like a coffee table book for leader, you know, organizational development folks or something. Yeah, it, for people who are listening, my book is not coffee table-ish, but the good part about it is that it's very easy to put on a Kindle, and it's just 10 bucks to put it on your Kindle, and you're not missing anything because there are no pictures. There's nothing <laughs> lovely about the book at all. You might as well Kindle it. Um, but this book, as one, you definitely want to get in, in um, a real book because it's gorgeous. Yeah, it is absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, for 40, 42 rolls. Painstakingly designed for Kindle. <laughs> Beautiful. Well, we we have the book, and I know it's uh, we're promoting the book, and that's kind of a lot of what you're working on. But what what else is on the horizon? What's next for you? Right now, just doing a lot of work. This seems to be a time when so many teams are um, they've retrenched as far as they can go. And now they're building for the future, and I'm doing a lot of facilitated strategy sessions, team development sessions, leadership development for for executives and people who are moving up. Um, it's really fun. So I'm just spending time engaging with people, and uh, I'm starting to get the Facebook page going for the book. So if people enjoy Facebook, I'm going to start putting some cool content on there. You can join us on Facebook.com forward slash lead start book, all one word, lead start book, and I'd love to connect with you there. Oh, well, perfect, and we will put the uh, we'll put the link to that in the show notes and make sure everybody can get that as well as the links to 42 Rules, painstakingly designed for Kindle. <laughs> Kindle. <laughs> I like that, David. That's awesome. And thanks so much for joining us inside the Leader Lab. Thanks so much for you.